This episode is brought to you by MyPillow. Get two premium pillows for the price of one by using the promo code WEIRD when you visit MyPillow.com. In 2008, I was sent to a call about a neighbor dispute, which is never a good time. Being a ref in the middle of two neighbors that have usually hated each other for eons is a reoccurring nightmare. I get there, and this completely professional woman is ticked off beyond comprehension. I say professional woman because in my occupation, dealing with all types, the first thing I tend to see in people is education and professional level. She seemed normal, well-grounded, nothing that would indicate any type of drug abuse or substance abuse. She informs me that her neighbors are racist assholes and they've been threatening her by yelling through the wall when she's inside the house. This seems legit to me. She was convincing and when I interrupted and had her retell the story at different points, it was always the same with the same details. In short, I could not twist her story and say to myself, seems like bull. So I started writing things down that she was saying. She tells me that she's lived at the house with her husband for about a month and loves it, but every time they're inside the house, their racist neighbor starts screaming, leave the home, and they're tired of it. She goes on and tells me that before she calls this time, she was bringing groceries into the house, and she likes to pile all the groceries by the back door at one time and then bring in the bags to the kitchen. She told me that while she was in the kitchen, the neighbor shot a 24 case of pop with a pellet gun. I go outside and look at the case of soda, and there are several cans inside the case that look like they are leaking, but I don't see where a projectile hit the case. It was also about 70 degrees and beautiful, so I open the case, which was sealed, and there are four cans that just look smashed to hell, but the rest are fine and I see no pellet holes or whatever else. Also in my mind, I have no idea how these cans could have been this deformed in the pattern they were found in without damaging the cans near them or the case they were in. I might be college-educated and have some cop experience, but I shrug it off because how the hell do I know they weren't damaged in packaging or some other explanation? But the spider sense had started tingling. But hey, I get paid for this stuff, so I went next door and did the cop thing, and two of the sweetest old women ever live in that house, and they are of the same race as the neighbor in distress. No males live there or have been there. So I go back to the complainant and ask where does the voice come from, and she points right at the old lady house next door. I ask is it a male voice or female, and she said without hesitation, male, and he sounds so pissed off all the time. So in an effort to put this to rest, because obviously there was some kind of disconnect, and anytime you can get neighbors to be happy, they tend not to call anymore. I marched the complainant over to her neighbor's house to introduce everybody. She, like so many people now, had no idea who was living next to her. We all got invited inside, and if you could picture two grandmothers that were roommates, you could picture inside this house. They even had a candy tray and pastries to offer. So I finally explained to the grandmothers what's going on. I kid you not, one looks right at me and goes, Paul said that happened to him before he passed away. They then tell us that the previous homeowner, before the current one, 
apparently told his neighbors that a voice was yelling at him to leave the home a few months before, taking a handful of sleeping pills. Now, I'm a pretty rational person, but the more I thought about it, crazy racist neighbors don't yell things like, leave the home. They're usually more explicit and hateful. I kind of think the only type of entity that would tell you to leave the home would be something inside the home. So I have no idea what to believe. I know that a short time later I saw a real estate sign in front of the house and the complainant packing her stuff into a truck. She waved. I waved back. But that's all I know. And luckily I'm not assigned to that area anymore. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, Weirdos! This is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you have a dark tale for me to tell, you can share it with me at WeirdDarkness.com. Be sure to subscribe if you've not done so already so you don't miss a single episode. And if you already consider yourself an official weirdo, please help me get the word out by sharing a link to this episode to your social media. And thanks for doing so. Coming up in this episode of Weird Darkness… A group of hunters and Bigfoot enthusiasts go out looking for the elusive creature but what they find is even more bizarre than anyone might have expected. A bizarre phenomenon that manages to teeter where the lines of Bigfoot, werewolves, the paranormal, and urban legend intersect takes things deeper into the strange, with various reports that suggest these beings utilize the mental power of telepathy as well. We'll look into some of the creepy encounters with the Dogman. And no one really thinks about it, but cops are usually one of the most credible witnesses to paranormal phenomena. Police officers are trained observers and usually will make better witnesses than a civilian. But even our bravest men and women in blue can be terrified into a shade of white. We begin with some of their paranormal stories first. Now bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights and come with me into the weird darkness. One family in 2007 reported hearing train sounds and screaming in their 140-year-old farmhouse. Now, it train tracks for miles until you realize that the walking path behind the house was an old railroad line that donated the track space to complete the walking path. Never went back there. I saw and heard nothing, but why tempt fate? One young woman in 2009 had just moved into a new house, and when we got there she opened the door and had a look of terror on her face, and the first thing she said was, this house hasn't been blessed yet, there's something in the basement. Okay. I mean, blessed or not, gotta check the basement. Guns and flashlights out. Nothing. Stood there for about ten minutes with the owner yelling at us from upstairs that it won't happen because we are here. Furnace fires up. 
Admittedly, it looks old, and it made some kind of noise that sounded like a growl with some banging. She starts screaming, that's it, you hear it? We explained what it was, but she still left the house, insisting she would have a priest or something over to bless it before she came back in. I had a call to a residence for a mental evaluation or a 5150. Anyway, I get there and speak to a 50-something-year-old woman who states her 20-something-year-old son is under the influence of an unknown drug and kept repeating that he can't go in his bedroom because there was an old man hanging in the room. She stated she was too scared to go in his room and investigate it for herself because he constantly brings over friends that are drug addicts and is unsure if his claims were true or not. I then go speak to the son, who is clearly under the influence of some kind of stimulant. He goes on to tell me that he was told by a spirit to not enter the bedroom because her father, dressed in his military Class A uniform, was hanging in his bedroom. I checked the room out and, of course, there was no body hanging in the room. As I'm in the middle of explaining to the mother that there was no body in the bedroom, a veteran officer arrives on the scene to assist me. He pulls me aside and stated earlier in his career he responded to this residence at that same bedroom. He had to investigate a suicide by hanging of an older male subject. He didn't remember all the details, so I looked it up in our report management system in my patrol car. Sure enough, he was right. The subject who died was a World War II veteran. He had dressed in his military uniform and hung himself. In my mind, I always thought that when they purchased the home, possibly this incident was disclosed to them. However, I thought the mother would have mentioned that to me if it had been disclosed to her. She was genuinely concerned about her son and the allegations. I was dispatched to an unknown disturbance a couple years ago around 0100. The caller either wasn't making sense or didn't give many details as there was hardly any information on my screen other than the caller believed their friend had been possessed. I get to the address and there's a group of young twenty-somethings all huddled in one corner of a small apartment. There's a scared-looking girl sitting in a chair in the opposite corner crying with her knees drawn tight against her chest. The group was telling me they were all hanging out watching a movie when their friend developed a blank stare and started talking in an unintelligible speech. They didn't do a great job of explaining this to me, but it had obviously terrified them. While they were describing this girl in the corner, she began to cry harder. One of her friends was also crying and kept saying something along the lines of, it wasn't your voice, that wasn't your voice. I went to talk to the girl. She told me she didn't remember anything. At this point, I was worried she had some kind of medical issue, maybe a stroke. I checked her pupils, they seemed normal, and I called the fire department to come check her out. I got a hold of her mother and an ambulance transported her to a hospital for an evaluation. I responded to many calls that were complaints of supernatural activity, but this was the only one that involved a group, six or eight people, witnessing the event. All in all, it was pretty creepy. I used to work for a private police security firm as a patrol supervisor. On one of my patrol routes, we had a huge church that was also a private daycare and kindergarten. It was my responsibility to clear and secure the building every night between 3 and 4 a.m. 
due to recent instances of doors being found left open in the morning. In the early 1900s, the building was a schoolhouse and supposedly a fire killed several children trapped inside. I didn't know any of this prior to working for the company. Several extremely creepy things happened while I was at the church. My first night there, I had just walked down the very long main classroom hallway to clear all the rooms when I turned around to walk back up the hallway. There was a red balloon floating in the middle of the hall that was definitely not there prior. In the old pastor's office, there was a lamp shaped like a lighthouse that sat on a table in a large window. When I'd pull up to the church, the lamp would be the first thing I would see in the office window. It was always turned on. However, when I would go to check or lock the pastor's office from the inside, the lamp would always be off. When I'd get back into the car to leave, though, the light would be back on again. I also had the unusual phenomena of previously closed or locked doors being found open just seconds after closing and locking them. Another officer that filled in for me one evening quit the very next day because he reported that as he was checking the main chapel, the pipe organ started playing itself. My FTO told me about this one school in Oahu that has a statue. Two officers were sent there because the alarm was going off and both walked past this statue that's outside on campus. The officers didn't find anyone inside the school, and after the case was done, the two officers asked each other if they had seen the statue's head turning to look at them. Apparently, they had seen it move. That same school is also notorious for having false alarms when the school's closed and one's inside. The school installed a microphone in the classrooms and during one call picked up the laughter of children. Only the voices were shimmering or moving in and out. I can't describe it. Sort of like the ghostly effects from movies. I got sent to that school last week for an alarm going off in a classroom, and again, the dispatcher said they could hear juveniles. However, the school was closed and there wasn't a single kid around. The doors and windows were locked, too. Weird. I was on duty one night at the front desk of our office when I got a call from an elderly male in a village a few miles away. He was very short of breath and wanted me to give him the number of a local doctor. I didn't have the number on hand, so I put the phone down for two seconds while I looked it up. When I picked up the phone again, the line was still open, but I couldn't hear anything. I tried shouting into the phone, telling the man to make any sort of noise if he could hear me, but I got nothing. I contacted the control room on another line and got them to trace the call so I could get help to the man who I was convinced had collapsed and was dying. When the number was traced, the local cops went round to the address, which they recognized as the scene of a sudden death three weeks before. The sole occupant of the house had died of a respiratory illness, and the house was empty and vacant on their arrival. It would seem that I just had a call from beyond the grave. I don't answer the phone anymore. Several years ago, while on duty, another officer and I responded to a possible prowler call. When we arrived, we were met by the residents who advised that the light in the living room had turned off and 
they saw a female walking in the room. We were about to conduct an interior search when a neighbor called us over. The neighbor told us that everyone who rents the house leaves after a couple of months due to strange occurrences. We went back and asked the residents if they were moving out. We saw moving boxes through the window. The residents said they were moving out because they would see a female in the house and lights would turn on and off. Not too scary a story, but definitely different. The traffic guy at my agency was catching up to a DUI suspect, no lights or sirens. The suspect was easily three to 400 yards ahead at 0330 hours on a very long stretch of semi-rural road. The last side of the street was lit by streetlights and the right side was dark. Both cars were moving fast, about 80 miles per hour or so. His dash cam video showed the suspect vehicle lose something from its rear and it turned out it was the suspect's rear bumper. After the bumper stopped tumbling, the video showed a black figure dart into the roadway from the left, the side lit by the streetlights, pick up or move the bumper and then dart to the right side of the roadway where it was dark. The video showed nothing on the right side of the roadway when the officer drove by the area. The officer didn't see this occur at the time, but instead when he reviewed the video in the car to find out where the suspect lost his bumper. The dark figure had no reflective clothing on as most joggers or dog walkers do in the area, and was definitely in the right place at the right time, as the officer most likely would have hit the bumper due to his speed and possibly crash. Prior to law enforcement, I was in college and worked nights as a security officer at the historic Blackstone Hotel in Fort Worth, Texas. The Blackstone was a luxury hotel when it opened the year before the stock market crash and depression, but it went to seed in later years. As part of my job, I had to do floor checks, including stairwells. I usually started at the top and worked my way down, using the stairwells in a back-and-forth pattern since they were located at opposite ends of each floor. Each well had fire doors about every five floors. The top floor had a permanently closed restaurant, ballroom, and bar. The top ten floors were not being leased to anyone at the time. One night, I start my usual check at the top floor and entered the first stairwell. As I entered, I heard footsteps in the well and the fire door below me slammed shut. I figured one of the local homeless had somehow slipped into the building and camped out, so I rushed to catch up. I was in pretty good shape but never got closer than two floors to my quarry. The stairwell emptied into an entry foyer from the street that was locked at night so there was only one way out, which was into the main lobby and past the front desk. I asked the clerk night auditor where the intruder went as he or she would have passed right by the desk. The clerk hadn't seen anyone. While posted in the lobby after doing checks, I often saw the two main elevators return home to the lobby after taking passengers to their respective floors. On several occasions, I watched the elevators leave the lobby level when no one had entered. They'd go to the top floor, then return to the lobby. When the doors opened, there was no one inside the elevator. My boss at the time was a FWPD officer of about 30 years' service who told me that there were several people that did double gainers with a half-twist out the windows of that building when the market crashed. 
He also said that over the past 15 years, this was around 1975-1980, the hotel probably averaged one suicide a year. When I was working as an EMT-slash-security officer at a casino, I was walking the parking structure around 0300 hours. Up on the hill by the top level were some streetlights, a guardrail, and a road leading up to a water tower, but nothing else. This night, the light seemed to be a lot dimmer than usual, and there was an all-black figure just standing there, looking straight ahead. I couldn't tell if it was looking down the hill at me or up the hill towards the tower. I didn't have a flashlight on me, so I decided to go grab one before investigating. I went down one level and met up with another officer and told him about the figure. The hill was in sight the whole time. I turned to speak with the officer briefly, and when I turned back around, the lights seemed to have been turned up to normal and the figure was gone. I found out later that there had been a number of sightings in the area and on levels 5 through 7 of the garage. Apparently, when the casino was put in, they had to move an old Indian cemetery, and the sightings started pretty soon after that. Keep listening, there's more weird darkness to come. This episode is brought to you by MyPillow. They asked me if I could try out a MyPillow and let them know what I thought about it. I gotta tell you, I fell in love with my pillow. No more folding the pillow in half, no more flat, lifeless pillows, no more using two pillows to get comfortable. This really changed the way I sleep for the better. So I'm letting you know about it. You need a my pillow for yourself. It stays cool all night long. You're not waking up at 3 a.m. to flip to the cool side of the pillow. It keeps its shape. You don't have to reshape your pillow in the middle of the night. It comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee, so if you try it and you don't like it, you can return it. But you will like it, trust me. And when you do decide to keep it, it comes with a 10-year warranty, something you're not going to get with your other pillows. And also, your MyPillow can be tossed in the washer and dryer and it'll come out like new again. You can't do that with any other pillow. Well, right now, as a special for just my weirdo family, you can get two premium MyPillows for one low price. The premium MyPillows are the best they have to offer. Two premium MyPillows for one low price. Just go to MyPillow.com and then enter the promo code WEIRD. That's MyPillow.com and then use the promo code WEIRD. Or call 800-945-7192. That's 800-945-7192. Or again, just go to MyPillow.com. Be sure to use the promo code WEIRD. When you get your MyPillow, you can use it as you lay down in the dark and continue to listen to Weird Darkness. One type of mysterious creature that has gained a bit of a following in recent years is what's commonly referred to as the Dogman. Much as its name suggests, These entities are usually described as being very tall, bipedal and covered with shaggy hair, much like the more well-known Sasquatch, but in this case, they also have pointed muzzles and features of a very canine nature. Spotted in many regions of the United States, the Dogmen are a bizarre phenomenon that manages to teeter where the lines of Bigfoot, werewolves, the paranormal, and urban legend intersect. 
yet taking things deeper into the strange are the various reports that suggest these beings utilize the mental power of telepathy as well. One very interesting and quite bizarre such account comes from a witness who posted her experiences on the site Truth Seeker Highway and claims that she had regular telepathic contact with a dogman calling itself Tulak. This entity was first encountered by the witness in the rugged Sandia Mountains in New Mexico where she was out one fine day with her fiancé, Michael, for a hike. At one point during their peaceful walk, her fiancé suddenly called out to her to be careful of a bear ahead. Looking forward, she saw what he was talking about as a hulking brown shape could be seen and heard crashing through a thicket. Seeing a bear out there was quite unexpected, but what's even stranger was what allegedly happened next. The witness said of this, As I watched the bear run away, out of some trees to the right of it, I saw a very strange, and I mean very strange person, walking, going opposite of the bear. Its stride was like something I've never seen, especially a normal person do. For every step it took, there must have been four to five feet in between each step, which means that I was looking at something very tall. Its back was hunched over, and at first I thought that maybe he was carrying a backpack. I mean, my mind was going 100 miles a minute trying to figure out what exactly I was looking at. Then I realized that it wasn't a backpack, but the man's back. Then I saw how strange the color of the man was. At this point, I had no idea I wasn't looking at a man. Its color was gray, purple, and dark brown. There seemed to be patches of what looked like to me purple, but who knows what I was looking at. It didn't turn and look at me, but kept at a very fast pace, walking down what we eventually saw was a path. I said to Michael how weird this fellow was, but he couldn't see him. I then pointed to the location of where he went, and as we walked in that direction, that's when the horrible feeling hit both of us in the gut. Something told both of us to stay back. It was a clear message, and one I was willing to ignore, but Michael wasn't. I wanted to go down the path further, but he said it was too dangerous. I must say, the feeling in our gut was like a slight punch, almost a nauseating feeling. It affected our heart rates, and our adrenaline was racing. I could feel my heartbeat all over my body. It was at this point that I decided to take photos in the direction the strange hiker had gone. It was in one of those photos that we captured what turned out to be a dogman. He was standing and watching us as we were trying to figure out what to do next. We didn't smell him at all. He didn't have an odor any more than the bear did, but I must say we sure did feel him. After they got home, the witness says she maintained a sort of psychic connection with the spooky entity and that she learned a lot of new and surprising things through this. One thing she claims she was able to glean from her exchanges with Tulak is that despite their fierce appearance, these dogmen are not violent or vicious creatures at all. She would say, Tulak has relayed interesting information to me. The most obvious is that they don't think like humans. They understand their place in the forests and they don't put out their threatening stance to other animals in the forest except when they hunt. As far as how they interact with each other, he stated that they have an understanding with each other. He preferred his solitude and said he particularly didn't stay with any group, but he knew where they roamed. 
He was to me obviously intelligent, beyond just a beast in the woods. He distrusted people extremely, as do most cryptids. He didn't go into more detail than this, but I'm pretty sure that what we see on TV with werewolf movies isn't even close. Tulak said that he and the large brown bear have been palling around for years. People put human issues and temperaments to other creatures and beings that have nothing to do with them at all. Another account of telepathy and dogmen was given to the site Weak and Weird by a witness calling himself Zay, who claimed that he was in regular telepathic contact with dogmen in the forests of rural Pennsylvania in the United States. Similarly to the previous report, Zay has said that these creatures are not violent or malevolent in any way, and that although they are frustrated and displeased with humankind, they hold no ill will or hatred for us. Zay explained of these beings, Very few people understand what courage really is. Courage is not about facing a werewolf because I've visited with a werewolf in a sighting area more than once. Courage is not about traversing through dogman areas with guns and ammunition because I have visited dogman territories numerous times, always alone and unarmed. If I'm not worthy to be here, then the dogmen can have me, but I have yet to experience aggression from them, and have had several subtle encounters with dogmen. I've recently discovered a three-toe paw print that was almost as big as the palm of my hand, and was so fresh that the dogman could have been watching me as I passed by. Most people are trapped inside the bubbles of their own existences. I reach out to the life around me. I don't write books, nor am I well-known. I'm a bachelor that lives a very quiet and private life, and one of the things I love to do is to get acquainted with the unknown. Anger, fear, and arrogance rarely wins anyone friends that are truly trustworthy. The kind of feelings that you emit from your life force are the same ones that are going to be attracted to you. I have literally had dogmen approach me after dark, announcing their presence with sounds that defy what you would reason as being from average animals. I've heard mystical heavy breathing sounds, to non-aggressive growls of acknowledgement. I even had a dogman creep up on me for 15 minutes that I was aware of the entire time, and when I sensed that it was very close, perhaps right behind me, I had a black-and-white telepathic image of a canine head and snout that came to my mind. It's an amazing world. If given a choice between passing through cryptid territory or gang territory, I would choose Dogman and Bigfoot over humans any day. I've walked through Dogman territories in Pennsylvania before without fear, because I trust them, with a kind of trust that I don't often have for humans. There are very few people in this world I would genuinely trust. I know just how arrogant and angry spirited people can be. I know quite a bit angry about my own kind, and I'm far more interested in knowing more about cryptids and protecting their habitats from further human development and destruction. While these reports so far seem to portray the dogmen as decidedly benevolent entities, others cast a rather more sinister light upon them. In an article at The Cloaked Hedgehog, a site devoted to dogman and werewolf phenomena, there is a somewhat frightening account relayed by Anna M. K. Larson who runs the site and appears to have spent quite a bit of time mapping and chronicling dogman sightings and encounters. She's also specifically documented a few accounts of telepathy and dogmen, saying of the phenomenon, 
When it comes to ESP, I've heard people talk about perceiving the dogman in ways other than through the regular five senses. Many talk about the creature sending them a message telepathically about not to talk about their sighting or else. Many talk about having a distinct gut feeling when these things are around, and some even say that they have been sight-jacked, as in them seeing through the eyes of the dogman and most likely vice versa. She then relays a personal experience she had along these lines, which points towards a psychic ability to lash out mentally, and which supposedly happened in the mid-1990s while she was outside her house one evening stargazing. As she looked up at the blanket of glittering stars across the vast inky canvas of the black sky, she claims that she was suddenly overcome with a heavy sense of dread that seemed to emanate from a small grove nearby. She would say of what happened next thus, I definitely sensed something was in that grove below the fence, something very, very bad. I felt it like a thousand needles on my skin and a horrible paralysis and heavy fear overcame me, which seemed to be protected onto me by someone or something else. I heard my own voice in my head, my higher self, say, go inside, do not run, twice. Inside, after calming down a bit, about ten minutes later, I opened the window and almost immediately heard a god-awful howl from the cemetery a block away. The window was closed again really fast. Larson then goes on to explain that she was routinely subject to some form of psychic attack by the creatures, describing it as being sought out and set upon by tentacles of energy, and most pronounced when she was engaged with research or looking into the dogman phenomenon. According to her, it seems almost as if they do not want to be looked at too closely and that they are trying to scare her off the subject. She has said of this, I have also felt them in the ether, as I call it, while studying this subject. I perceive it as tentacles of energy searching through the ether, searching for the one searching for them. The more I read and studied, the more I could perceive them coming closer. Sometimes I took breaks when I felt them coming too close. While working on those maps of dogman sightings two years ago, things got really intense for a long time months of reading about and mapping dogman reports for at least 16 hours a day. I felt the tentacles. I ignored them. I wanted to finish the maps. One day there was a connection made. I could feel it so distinctly. Contact. They had found me. Luckily, I understand that they only found me mentally. They still didn't know where I physically was. Yet, after this experience, I have become more afraid of the dark. I had some weird experiences with a mirror in my bedroom that I finally had to get rid of. I don't really dare look out a window at night anymore. I sometimes force myself because I will not live in fear of them, but damn, it's hard now. Also rather ominous, in a sense, was the account given by a Bigfoot and Dogman researcher, Parker Duvall, on an episode of Coast to Coast AM called Bigfoot and Dogman with host Connie Willis. Duvall has spent years studying the dogman phenomenon in his home state of Kentucky and told Willis that he had made telepathic contact with a dogman named Roger and has created a relationship with the entities. 
According to Duvall, the Dogmen are a warrior-like race that utilize an ability to fill humans with terror and primal fear, as this is apparently the state in which people learn the most about themselves. He also sent the program several images of what he claims were of one of the Dogmen and a couple that were the aftermath of Dogman attacks on livestock. It's hard to know just what to make of such accounts or to discern just how much truth any of these may have, but they certainly do add a new weird dimension to the already rather bizarre phenomenon of the Dogman. These creatures are quite entrenched in the outer fringes of cryptozoology, seemingly defying any sort of biological explanation as it is, and these accounts of weird telepathic abilities further make this an area in which we largely have no idea of what we might be dealing with. Whether we are looking at werewolves, thought forms, demons, ghosts, or something else entirely, the dogman phenomenon most certainly seems to get just odder and odder and shows no signs of waning. In January 2003, a team from the UK's Center for Fortean Zoology headed out to the town of Bolam, which is situated in the north of England. In the days and weeks previously, there had been a spate of sightings of what can only be termed as a British Bigfoot. The dark, hulking creature was even seen by members of both the CFZ and a local group, Twilight Worlds. Although it appeared to be one-dimensional in appearance, which is highly strange. So what exactly was it that the CFZ and TW crews encountered? Let's take a look at a highly controversial theory, one which suggests something not just incredible but beyond incredible occurred. One of the little-known and seldom-talked-about aspects of the Bolam affair goes like this. In February 2003, barely a month after the amazing encounter with a one-dimensional Bigfoot type occurred, a story appeared in the local press that suggested a very down-to-earth explanation for the presence of the creature. In an article titled Back to the Beast of Bolam, Hoaxer's Horror at Bolam Beast, a journalist with the Newcastle-based Evening Chronicle, one Andy Lloyd, reported that young hoaxers today revealed how they created a monster myth, only months before the real-life Northumberland Bigfoot reared its head. The article told of how two friends, Harriet Warman and Alex Dordoy, then 17 and 18 respectively, had hired a gorilla costume from a local shop and duly roamed the pathways of Kielder Forest in the summer of 2002 as part of an arts project at school. And as Andy Lloyd noted, so the pals, both six formers at Goesforth High School in Newcastle, were spooked when they discovered Northumberland does have its own Yeti legend. Harriet, who lived in Goesforth, told the Evening Chronicle, We were amazed. It was really weird when we saw the news about the Bigfoot. We followed it closely. We visited Kielder Forest with the idea of a photography project. The place was so atmospheric a Bigfoot myth seemed a great idea. We hired a gorilla costume from a fancy dress shop and took turns to dress up as Bigfoot and take pictures. We spent three days there. It was boiling hot inside the costume and the forest was full of midges. She continued, The idea was to recreate some of the famous Bigfoot photos from America with the animal walking away, as if a human and a monster had encountered each other and the person had grabbed their camera, snapped, and hoped. 
We tried to capture that shaky, don't-quite-know-what-it-is effect, but we also developed it as a story, from a police hunt for the beast to pictures of Bigfoot visiting a corner shop. Harriet added, No one has taken a photo of this creature in Northumberland, but our photos show how easy it is to create a fake. Her final words, specifically on the matter of the Beast of Bolam encounter investigated by and even witnessed by the CFZ and Twilight Worlds, were, Lots of people in school are coming up and asking if we are behind this sighting, but I can say we weren't responsible for this one. And as the Evening Chronicles' Andy Lloyd noted in closing, Alex and Harriet were among dozens of young artists from the Northeast to devise arts projects through the Samling Visual Arts Foundation. Linda Russell, head of the sixth form at Gosforth High School, said, The project caused a real talking point in the school. The younger students loved it. So you may wonder, where am I going with all of this? Well, let's look at the facts. Most, but granted not all, of the reports of the Bolam Beast did originate around the time that the kids from Gosforth High School were running around in an ape costume in the depths of Kielder Forest, which just so happens to be the largest man-made forest in all of England. The problem, however, is that the distance from Kielder Forest to Bolam Lake is more than 40 miles, and the kids who took part in the arts project are adamant that all their activities occurred at the forest and never even on solitary occasion at the lake. But Gosforth High School is situated only seven miles from the scene of all the action at Bolam Lake. In view of the close proximity between lake and school, maybe someone else, perhaps even another student, one who took inspiration from the actions of Harriet and Alex, may have later and secretly hired the very same gorilla costume and decided to take part in some hijinks at the lake. Such is not at all impossible as a scenario. But here's the important thing. Regardless of what may have been behind the sightings at Bolam Lake, a real beast or a kid in a costume, the encounters most certainly instilled in the minds of many, including members of the Center of Fortean Zoology and the Twilight Worlds people, the idea that there really was a beast at Bolam in the area. Thus, with deep belief and firm expectation both brewing and expanding at near-exponential rates, is it feasible that, in a truly astonishing fashion, the one-dimensional monster that appeared before the startled eyes of the research teams was actually a thought form, one unknowingly born out of that same belief and expectation, and which manifested before those present in its all-shadow-like glory. Certainly, that particularly memorable encounter could not, under any circumstances whatsoever, be blamed upon the antics of a student of Gosforth High School, particularly so when one takes into consideration the utterly flat and huge shadow-style nature of the entity that appeared before the amazed and shocked throng. Perhaps then we should give some very serious and deep thought to an intriguing idea. By sowing the seeds of a Bigfoot in the area, the antics of the kids of Gosforth High School caught the attention of numerous seasoned monster hunters. Those very same monster hunters were collectively hopeful that they just might be lucky enough to see the creature of Bolam Lake. As a result, they inadvertently created a temporary thought form equivalent of the very beast they sought. The result was that for a very few brief moments, and right in front of two teams of researchers, the monster briefly manifested, 
before winking out and perhaps being reabsorbed into the minds of its creators, who were the very same monster hunters who saw it. Do you have a dark tale to tell? Share your story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. If you like the show, please share a link to this episode on all your social media, tell your friends about the show, and please leave a rating and review. I might read your review here in the podcast. PSI4s from Sweden said, Excellent! Best of paranormal podcasts can't get enough to listen. And then Stephen Horrible from the US said, Every episode is amazing. I listen during work and it gets me through the day. I love anything paranormal, but I really enjoy the stories. Keep it up. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Patrons get commercial-free versions of Weird Darkness, early access to the Weird But True YouTube series, of which I just posted a new episode today, and patron-only content, including chapters of horror and paranormal books I'm narrating into audiobooks as I record them. I'm currently narrating the audiobook Into Darkness by Jason R. Davis, and you can hear all the chapters I've already narrated when you become a patron at WeirdDarkness.com. And a big welcome to my latest patron, Anthony Mask. Thanks for joining the Weirdo family, Anthony. All stories in this episode are purported to be true, and you can find links in the show notes. Bizarre Encounters with Telepathic Dogman was written by Brent Swanser. Police and the Paranormal is a collection of stories gathered from GhostTheory.com and GhostsAndGhouls.com and there are links to those stories in the show notes. The Ultimate Monstrous Thought Form was written by Nick Redfern. Music provided by Midnight Syndicate and Shadows Symphony. You can find links to both in the show notes. Join the Weird Darkness Weirdos group for free. Find me on all my social media, read creepy articles I find online and post to the website, and a whole lot more at WeirdDarkness.com. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the weird darkness.